This is Monocle on Design, a show where we unpack everything from architecture and craft to furniture and fashion. I'm Nick Manise. On today's program, we visit Prime Matter, a new Lisbon gallery by industrial designer Emmanuel Bablet. We meet Sanjay Garge, founder of Indian fashion brand Raw Mango, plus architect Benny Allen discusses his furniture range, Low Collection. All that coming up on Monocle on Design. We start today's program in the centre of Lisbon at Prime Matter, a new art and design gallery. The physical space will host showcases from artists and craftspeople and is the brainchild of French designer Emmanuel Bablet. He's a creative who studied and worked as an industrial designer in Milan for over 20 years. And since 2016, he has called the Portuguese capital home. Emmanuel runs his namesake practice, Bablet Design, which is housed in the same building as the Prime Matter Gallery and includes a dedicated showroom to share his previous work and projects with the public. With a keen interest in craft traditions and fusing them with modern technology, Bublet Design has produced a range of products, including rugs, lighting and tableware. Monocle's Gaia Lutz visited the gallery to meet Emmanuel and discuss his career and plans for the new gallery space. But first, Emmanuel began by explaining why he finds glass such a compelling material to work with. Glass is not a material that you can dominate. It's a material that you have to follow to accompany to the final project. So you cannot arrive with, uh, with your drawing and down in your ivory tower and think that the master will solve it because you are missing the birth. Glass is a fluid at 1200 degrees. And so if you are not there during the process, you will miss all what is a transformation of this birth that will go for 40 minutes. You will reinterpret and modify your project during the process, accepting the serendipity of the process as part of the project. And this is where you have to have this. It's not a compromise, it's more an understanding. Because all the rest you're drawing by computer are not, are not reality. If I want to design something in any material, I need to immerse myself inside the capacity of this territory, of these people, of these hands, of this social condition, and then I can start to make my project. It will be inclusive of all of this aspect. Because my project without these people doesn't exist. What is my piece of paper? Of course, I can have a concept, I can be proud of it, and whatever, but then it will be a self-sufficient process that is incomplete. Can you tell me just a little bit, because it's not only the craft, and obviously that's central to your work, but then you take that and, and you apply a lot of quite high-level technology sometimes. Probably that's the Eindhoven, maybe school coming in there. Can you tell me a little bit about how do you think these two worlds of craft and high-level technology can work together and, and perhaps even advance one another? Well, the answer is very simple. We are not here to celebrate tradition. We are here to enhance tradition to a future. So what is today's reality? Today's reality is also the digital. It's also all these new tools that will open new combination of technology, ancestral technology and uh, high-tech technology, and with them together, combined, we can find new paths, new forms, new solutions that were impossible before. So, as I say, it's not celebrating the past as it was. It's bringing the craft to be an important way of production of our modernity, because it's a challenge to humankind. It's also a more sustainable way of producing, because it's not about quantities, but about quality. 
And uh, I think this is why I'm really attached now to craft. I, I have been doing industrial design my, in my life, making product in China, sales in big supermarket here and whatever. But I understand at a certain point that was not for my own soul and I can do much more working with craft and promoting craft as a, as a modern way of producing. In a way, it's not nostalgic or melancholic at all, which is quite refreshing. A lot of people look at, at, at craft as something, oh, it's dying, we need to preserve. Perhaps it's not that, it's how, how to bring it to the future. Yeah, finding new paths, accepting technology, using digital communication, whatever is needed to put craft again on the scene. I work as example with incredible marble maker out of the Belle Arti School in, in, in Carrara. And they've been the first that have been investing in, in new technology, in robots that are CNC controlled. And now they have developed their own brand of robots and they're selling worldwide this capacity. And they are still artists, artisans. They are still thinking the project from the beginning to the end. They just have a super tool in the middle that is not a chisel and a hammer, but it's a super intelligent tool that still you have as an, as an artisan, a craft, understand how to use it. It's not that the machine do everything. The machine is just a super tool. And so why not to use it to find new solutions? These people have been able, thanks to this technology, to work again with the biggest artists, name them, in the world, and put marble again in the art world because of this capacity. Can we talk a little bit about your move to Portugal? Because I think the side of the, you know, the artisan, the craft is something that we talk a lot about um, now, and especially in Portugal. But what you're doing is, in fact, mixing that with, as we were talking about, this high technology and bringing it to the future. How do you find Portugal stands in this, in this debate? And what attracted you to the country in the first place? Well, what attracted me to the country is It's just a beautiful country. I don't want to say too much here because then everyone will come here. But it's, it's very beautiful, beautiful weather, uh, incredible food and people. And of course, this, 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 guy, this capacity of craft that is important. Portuguese craft exists. It is not comparable to other countries like maybe Italy that is system. Italy makes system between very specialized craft. Here there is, I think, more to do. And it's why I bring prime matter here because I want uh, to show uh, the extreme qualities that you can find in, in craft and try to inspire people and culture here also in this. Uh, because I think deeply Lisbon now is on a buzz. Uh, many people are moving here, but the offer is really touristic based and is really generic based, is really gentrification based, but there is not yet what will give to Lisbon this total existence, so also have this international scene and culture of the project. Uh, I think we are missing Garvey here, we are missing capacity of showing the extreme quality. And so we are trying to, to give our, our little participation with this Garvey Primater, uh, also in this area of Baisha with the central area of Lisbon, and that is suffering of, of, of too much gentrification. And so we want to give an example that uh, the center of Lisbon can come back to a prosperity. You just mentioned a little bit, uh, two things that I find interesting. One is about, you know, you, you were talking about gentrification and sort of your role, perhaps, of this, this gallery now, but also studio space, combating a little bit some of the negative effects, let's say, tourism has been having on Lisbon. But also you mentioned, you know, shining a spotlight on Marinha Grande and other amazing places. The designer has a role as a communicator, or at least in your case, it clearly does. And I want to talk about another project you open here, which is the third floor, because it brings together people and it's about sharing 
ideas. It's about sharing best practices. It's about communicating these things. Can you tell me what inspired you to create this co-working space project, gal not gallery, but yeah. Yeah, also the gallery. No, no, it's, it's a, <laughs> they're all connected of the same intention that we are not only a business You know, we are not only making and producing to sell and, and make profit or whatever. We are here also to bring, I mean, designers have this role of bringing together culture or creating community. And is what we are doing here. With, we create the third floor, that is a, is a floor upstairs to our office. And there are 250 square meters, so it's not very big, but it's selective because we decide to have inside to choose persons that are working, associations that work with, uh, with uh, craft, uh, Passau Futuro, as an example, architect, designer, people that are related, graphic designer, that are related to our world in the way that by a simple pollinization, just because we are nearby the one to the other, things will happen or not, no obligation, but creating the, this capacity of sharing. With the third floor, we have been doing uh, a program of talks for all this last year, the design journey, where we had uh, many invite, uh, invitation from the international scene to debate many questions as education in design, as sustainability, as, as others. The program is on the third floor.net. And we have been doing also this festival of cinema connected to craft and architecture, in craft architecture. So I think the effort for a designer is not only to design a project, it's also to design a social life, it's also to design a way to exchange and to bring then the progress thanks to this exchange uh, and this community spirit. We need to share much more than what we are doing today, I think. First, the first exhibition you've opened in, in Prime Matter Gallery, Xylos, or Xilos in Portuguese, um, mm. obviously wood. Can you tell me a little bit about how that came about um, and, and what people might expect if they come to Lisbon? Well, the program of the gallery, we decided together with Alice Gadefi, who is the director of the gallery, uh, to concentrate on uh, of thematic of material. We don't want to be another gallery making a big name on the front cover. We want to be more down to earth to speak about material and the beauty of the material and the transformation of this material, the capacity of the craft uh, makers. So the first exhibition, as you say, is Xilos or Xilos. Uh, it's a Greek term for wood. Uh, we decided to, to start with wood because primators came from Aristotle and, um, and wood uh, was uh, the, material, the, the name he used for material because material matter doesn't exist in Greek. So he used what was the first evident matter and was wood, the one you can transform. So anyway, we decided to start with wood and to invite Danish cabinet maker, an incredible person and incredibly capable, of course, with the history of the Danish uh, joinery and cabinet making. I worked with him for 15 years and so I decided to, we decided together to compose an, 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 an exhibition of Uh, our iconic pieces that we design and, and produce together, and some and three new one important plus some of his own expression as cabinet maker pieces that can express his cabinet making, and this spirit will remain for the first four or five exhibition of Prime Matter. So we will start by uh, enhancing the producer we are working with, presenting together there and our work together with them. It will be by thematic, so wood now, it will be marble and stone in uh, next November. No, sorry, September will be glass, because I have to pass by glass, of course, uh, my respect first, is <laughs> where I learn everything. And then November will be stone and marble, and then it will be regarding metals, and then it will be regarding earth. That will be the five first exhibition. 
And all these exhibitions will also have pocket exhibitions, as we call them. So in July, as example, we invite a, a person who's living in Siki from Hong Kong that have a special approach to wood, and a German maker that work in the forest with a very specific way of working wood too. And we will have a debate, a talk all together at the end of July, uh, open to the public. That was Emmanuel Bablet there in conversation with Monocle's Gaia Lutz. To keep up with Prime Matter's calendar of events and upcoming exhibitions, check out its website, primematter.net. Raw Mango is a luxury fashion brand that draws on the rich textile traditions of India. Shandari weaving, Ari embroidery and Varanasi brocade are just some of the craft traditions and techniques which the brand employs and then pairs with contemporary shapes to give saris and lehengas a modern twist. The brand has shops across India, including outposts in Mumbai, Chennai and Hyderabad, and has been steadily expanding its retail presence since it was established in 2008. The brand's founder, Sanjay Garge, dropped into our studios at Midori House to discuss the importance of strong visuals and well-designed physical shops. Here's Monocle's fashion editor, Natalie Theodosi, to kick off the conversation. It would be great to start by hearing a little bit about your background of setting the brand in Delhi and, and how it's been inspired by Indian craft and the traditions of textiles that uh, India is, is so well known for. I started my brand in 2008. I work with textiles and my brand, whatever we produce, is 100% made by hand. Everything is produced on hand loom. There's a challenge today to hand loom and made things with the craft as well. There's a challenge that there's something made by machine. I really want that hand to do that magic. I think the story is, of course, there in secondary, but I really want the combination of design and craft and culture and history. And is it quite challenging to produce everything by hand in the looms, like you say, given that the industry now is so fast-paced and demands large scale and constant renewal of your collections and the way that you work with retailers is quite demanding again. They want new collections, more, more, more. So how do you find your balance? My part of the world, it's still easier than rest of the world because, you know, we are the biggest handloom producer of the world. So I think we can be good at it and we can really supply that. I do understand there's always a pressure of supplier and the supply chain and changing the collection. So I try to build brand on my own feet and we're able to ask for a certain price and a quality with the consumer and the consumer understand that. People are ready to buy something made of hand and the premium price to it. We have a certain skill set which is developed in thousands of years, which is there, available. My part of the world, there's so much of knowledge we're sitting on. So how do we get the originality and uniqueness? I really think the challenge in a design that how do we bridge the gap in a way that use that skill set and knowledge and create a product where you think that is their own today. How did you develop your own design signature to make things more modern and, and like you say, contemporary? I think to not to look at the Western world, first of all. So even if I talk about our imagery of the brand, we developed that in my country and 
I think we did change the landscape of it. The way we photographed and the way we had made a storyboard and then the way we told the story visually and making film, I think it really helped and connected to the youth audience. What I always believe that design is not something what you just see visually, it's a way of living life. And I think we created awareness about the handloom. We had multiple collaboration with Indian Art Fair at one of my stores in Delhi and everywhere else. We collaborated with a lot of art shows. We called people from different fields. We called like my Anand Sheila from Osho. We had Mr. Sashithur once came and talked with us. We had a book launch of Dayanita Singh, which have nothing to do with my brand as such directly. And that's what I'm trying to say, that it is a way of living life a design. If you really live through that, and I think you really connect to the audience. And you speak about a lot of these events and a lot of this community coming together in your store. Tell me about the importance of physical stores and how you went about designing your stores because you've, you've got six now yes. in India, all across oh India. It sounds bizarre, but I do not like anything online. If you give me an option, I would say I would, I would like to decline online shopping tomorrow. I so much like <laughs> the touch and feel of it. It's a different feeling. I understand, and we live in this, I think, the bubble, la-la land, that, oh, you create that experience of museum 360 degree, and you can see things, you can feel it. But I haven't a one single website where I felt it. Not even 10% of it, if I'm being honest. Unless I want to really cool and say, oh, yeah, this is amazing. But it's saying that you can order something online, but there are general necessity of a human, I think, just still there you need a real person to hug or to drink something or eat something or smell something can you smell online i don't know no, you I can make it so. feel like you can <laughs> fake it but how much you are successful about that so that's what i think about this space what it's like a many sensory we created my whole store maybe 25 to 30 percent only occupied to sell my product but rest of it is to create a community spaces there are certain landscape or even trees even a flower pot chair, table, to selection of a wood, a certain design, and how I design a space from Delhi versus Mumbai to Hyderabad to Chennai. So how does regionality play an important role? I don't want it to come just like in a mold, and this is what it is, and if you do this, it's a raw mango store. So I think that's a great challenge I want to throw in you and myself, and I think I really enjoy that. As I really think... Global, local in that way make a lot of sense because you do connect to them locally. They feel they're part of it. And when you look ahead, what's next for your brand? How do you want to see it evolve? Is it more stores? How do you want the collections to evolve? Well, there is so much to say. Of course, we'll have many stores. It, it's very funny enough that in India, the fashion business is still very, very small. We don't have this organized business of fashion I think whatever is famous in two to three big city, cosmopolitan city, then you think the brand is a right. But India is, you know, like A tier city, B tier city and C tier city. We do not even have the retail expansion. So we have so much to explore. A hundred thousand of cities. We don't even have a model yet that how do you see a one fashion brand or a textile brand is successful. That was Sanjay Garge there in conversation with Monocle's fashion editor, Natalie Theodosi. We'll be back in just a moment. Searching for some bright new ideas to kickstart your summer? The Monocle Companion 50 Ideas for a Better World is our cheery new paperback and it's on newsstands now. 
Brimming with thoughtful essays, our new book is the ideal summer companion to snuggle up with on your sun lounger. Under the covers, you'll find insights on entrepreneurship. You'll learn from thinkers, authors and essayists. And it tackles everything from how to travel better to the difficulty of doing nothing at all and why words matter. From big topics to small intrigues, this is a book that offers inspiration, ideas, wit and wisdom. The Monocle Companion, 50 Ideas for a Better World is out now. Buy your copy today at monocle.com shop or on all good newsstands. We head to the east of London now to visit the vintage and contemporary design gallery Beton Brut. Founded in 2013, the gallery collaborates with architects and designers to produce new works, including the Low Collection. This was made in partnership with architect Benny Allen in 2022 and recently re-released in a new colourway. The range consists of a series of furniture pieces, including a low table, low and high seats and a two-person bench all complete with sleek curves and rendered in solid oak. This show's producer, Maylee Evans, headed to the Beton Brut showroom to meet gallery founder Sophie Pierce and the designer, Benny Allen. She began by asking Sophie how their collaboration came to be. This one was quite sort of serendipitous, actually. Um, we moved into a space around the corner from Benny Allen's architecture studio, Ebba, and we were just starting our contemporary design arm, having previously specialised in vintage and been very architect-led up until that point. And so when Benny walks through the door with an idea that's sort of almost baked, it was too good an opportunity to pass up, which isn't necessarily the way we work with sort of our other contemporary designers, but the low collection. Benny's been living with it for a long time before he came to us. I was born and brought up in Spain. I've lived in China and travelled a lot in Japan. And a lot of the ideas for the collection sort of stem from those experiences. I've got a personal interest in how people sit. And it's something that I've sort of observed over a long period of time. And when I started to think about individual pieces, I quite like the idea of creating something that didn't necessarily dictate how it should be used. And as an architect, we have a lot of systems and rules to conform by. And I really wanted to create objects that sort of broke some of those rules. The first one that I designed was the low seat, very low to the ground, almost provoking you to sort of sit and meditate. And as I designed that piece, some really interesting forms started to develop, which felt quite natural to start to think about other pieces. And so bit by bit, they all developed with their own language, their own concepts, and all together, they come together as a family of objects that really want you to think carefully about how you might want to use it. They're very sort of tactile, you really want to touch them. And I was very, very lucky to be able to get the chance to bring them to reality. It strikes me how sort of stripped back they are. You were saying there that it's not obvious how you might interact with certain pieces. I sort of read that a lot of the works that we in your gallery, it's, it's the idea of forms being stripped back. It's going back to those simple shapes and natural materials. How does this sit amongst, I guess, your wider collection and how you want to curate a, a space? Beton Brut does have a focus on kind of these stripped back forms. I guess the foundations of the gallery were um, rooted in modernism and, and at least the kind of foundational principles of that. 
when I sort of saw drawings for this, I guess I have a sort of this visual encyclopedia of past design in my head and I might like appreciate something just because of like the tiniest reminder whether it's kind of the end grain of the wood blocks in this design will remind me of say the flooring in the Barbican or a 1930s Swedish piece made of pine. It's those kind of like teeny little references that get me excited about something um, contemporary. Also sculptural forms. I loved the way these seem to play with everything from sort of concave to convex, sort of curves but then with sort of straight cross cuts through starting with a shape and then kind of extruding it so although it's very much handmade and solid oak it has that sort of teeny hint of the digital language through through it as well and tell me a little bit about the modern techniques that went into producing this because of the scale and the size of them there's not many ways that you can create these there's some quite interesting more analog processes that I wanted to explore but actually I was fortunate to discover a workshop here in East London whilst trying to develop another piece and they had a five axis and I noticed that um, you could really make large pieces from them so the whole collection really started from a, an initial conversation with them sort of trying to explore was there ways that we could create these objects uh, quite simply. They are made from massive oak uh, so although the forms seem quite simple and the geometries are fairly understandable they're actually incredibly difficult to make. You have to laminate really large blocks of solid oak and then some of them you have to machine in two different processes and then sometimes have to make them separately machine them, then bring them together and then finish them by hand. That element of the hand finishing really gives it an extra level of quality and also finish. You really get the sense that it's actually finished by someone's hand. Again, being an architect, I don't get that many opportunities to make things and I kind of see myself as a maker. So these really were an opportunity to get a bit dusty and dirty and really get stuck into it. I'm very interested in exploring materials as well as thinking very carefully about sustainable practices. Ultimately, a lot of the work that we do at EBBA is about exploring construction techniques, proportion, form, and I've always been very drawn to the sort of more sculptural aspect. Many of our projects are very much about the rigour of proportions of grids. Through furniture, there's a really interesting opportunity to try and bring those two elements together. So you've dipped your toe in, created a first collection. Where are you looking to next in collaboration with more architects? It will be a mixture of collaborating with architects and designers. Where to go next with the Low Collection is that we are launching it in Black and Oak. And the way the sort of stain or blackening works, you can still beautifully see the end grain, but it gives it this silhouette form that's so striking. Another aspect I really love about the collection is its um, solidity. A lot of vintage furniture, sort of post-war, everything's a veneer on something lighter. And so to work with something solid in wood was, yeah, really special. I'd always imagined the collection being in black. I think it was partly because the 
interest in the traditional technique of shosugi ban which you get in japan and that kind of beautiful charred quality that in some angles uh, looks almost shiny and the original idea was to produce them all in black and i think it was interesting to sort of get someone else to look at the collection and say actually it's really beautiful in the natural oak and then it sort of brought on another kind of level of intrigue into it and then eventually it was great to be able to put them out in black because you do really get a different feel from them one of the beauties of the collection is that they would be at home in various contexts here we're looking at it in a domestic context where it sits Partly it could be a table, it's called the bench for two, but it could also be a coffee table, you could see it in a bedroom. And I think that's also an interesting aspect for people to sort of interpret themselves where they think they might sit best. The quality of the oak is really important to these pieces because I wanted to be able to create something that in 50, 100 years the form, the quality, the lines would still be exactly as they are. And I have this really kind of amazing image that in 50 years I will work into someone's room and they've got one of these pieces and then how we made them. Architect and designer Benny Allen and before that, Beton Brute founder Sophie Pierce in conversation with Monocle's Maylee Evans. And that's all for today's show. For more design stories, listen to our five-minute midweek bonus show, Monocle on Design Extra, which airs on Thursdays. And if you enjoy print, then do pick up a copy of Monocle magazine as well. It's on all good newsstands now. Today's episode was produced by Maylee Evans, who also edited the show. I'm Nick Manise, and you can reach me on nm at monocle.com. Thanks for listening. Listener.